Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Before we dive into today's message, we would like to share a unique opportunity with you. On Saturday, April 2nd, we will be hosting our second annual Quest 5K Run and 1K Family Walk to meet the needs in our own backyard. This year, all proceeds will benefit Westerville Area Resource Ministry and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Ohio. Registration for runners, walkers, donors, and sponsors are open now at gotoquest.org slash 5K. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org slash 5K. Now, let's dive into today's message. Welcome my wife, Wendy. She's going to help uh, do the message today, so it's great. I get to have my better half up here with me. We're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate it big today uh, because Jesus won the victory over sin and death for us. And the truth is, without resurrection, there's no point to Christianity at all. This year, we celebrate this Easter by looking back at the backstory in a little bit of a different way this year so that we can more clearly see what the resurrection means for me today. Not just the end game of eternity, but for us in our world right now today. See, the whole Easter story is not just what we celebrate today, Sunday. It actually begins with Good Friday. It includes Holy Saturday, and it includes Easter Sunday. This whole weekend reflects the Christian faith, the pain of Friday's death the silence and challenging questions of Saturday, the hope of Sunday's resurrection. You see, if the disciples hadn't walked through all three days, they wouldn't have seen the resurrection in the same way, would they? So our goal today as we look at these three days is for our hearts to grow in confidence that we have this right here, right now grace from God, whatever area of life we're standing in today, that he's here for us. Let's look at the, uh, the scripture for, to start with. Luke 23, we're going to pick up uh, at a point where Jesus is already on the cross, verse 44, and it says this. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to the decision or action to crucify Jesus, is what they're talking about, and came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down. He wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Skipping to verse 1 of the next chapter. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they wondered about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. See, as Christians, we profess that there's this lowly carpenter named Jesus who came to die the most excruciating death on a Roman cross on Friday. He was laid in a borrowed, dusty grave on Saturday. And he rose defeating death early Sunday morning. During that weekend, God rescued the whole world from its captivity to sin and the devil. Chalk it up to the most productive weekend in human history, right? I mean, it's because of that one weekend in human history that Christianity exists. We celebrate life today, but it's not just the life of we find in Easter Sunday alone. It's the life we find in all three days. To follow Jesus in the way we're created to, we need to encounter and follow him through this entire weekend. But I would submit that most of us as Christians tend to embrace not the totality of these three days. We tend to be a little choosy. We, we, maybe we don't even know any better. But we often lean toward one of these three days and view life through that lens of one of those three days. And we end up with a cheapened version of Christianity. See, living, if we live through the lens of Good Friday Christianity, it's where we focus our spirituality more on death, more on loss, more on evil, more on suffering, more on what we need to give up. And, and if you are really serious about your spirituality as a Good Friday type Christian and really authentic and real and committed, you're constantly facing this battle of life, this struggle. Life is a struggle. And sometimes those who smile a little bit too much you think, well, they lack seriousness or they're a little bit naive in their faith. But those who view life through the Sunday kind of Christianity, the Easter Sunday kind of Christianity alone, it's equally problematic because that kind of Christian tends to live in the prosperity and blessing all the time. There's always this present pursuit of life to be safe and happy and everything good. Life should never be, when we view life this way, should never include any hassles or problems. And while outwardly appealing, this approach to Christianity is impotent because it lacks the depth and the stamina. It lacks the ability to sustain us in life when we only live in Sunday because it lives, leaves little space for the reality of loss and pain. I mean, if you or someone around you is sick or mourning or just not happy, then we come to the conclusion that person must be doing something wrong, Right? See, Sunday Christianity alone dismisses the realities of life. And lastly, some people tend to live their Christian faith through more of a Holy Saturday Christianity. It's this day in the middle. It's the day that Jesus is in the grave. It's this in-betweenness in life. It's the uncertainty, the doubt. It's a, it's a time full of all these questions, and the questions aren't seeming to get answered in life. It's the moments we're unsure whether God's going to show up or whether the sun is going to shine and rise again the next day. See, living in a Saturday approach to Christianity leaves us all too often living in doubt and ambiguity. And we never move into the truth that Jesus indeed is resurrected and alive and present today. We believe we have, when we live this way, the permission to be cynics, to just simply sit by the grave and have little expectation of Jesus' power or life showing up in our world in our circumstances right now, today. You see, we tend to live life instead feeling like we believe in God, but we are left to our own efforts in a world that has its own power 
that is larger than we are, and we are succumbed to it a lot of times. Usually, different Christian traditions tend to emphasize their favorite day out of these three approaches to how we view life. And the question today is, for you, where do you tend to emphasize living in? Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? Let's explore these three days. Good Friday. Friday is the day we recognize Jesus' death was needed to pay the price for our sins. I mean, think about it. Our world has a really pretty highly elevated view of humanity, right? People are evolving through education and other means to be better and better and better on the right. But yet, we see that that evolution doesn't really take a lot of times. Like in the bombings in Belgium, there's still plenty of evil in the world, even in an educated world today. See, the Bible tells us we're simply never going to evolve out of our brokenness, at least not until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, because we're bent, because we're broken. And we need something more than a few more years of evolution and education for us to be a better people. Because of our bentness and our brokenness on Friday, Jesus had to hang on the cross and hang vulnerably on the cross to take every last pound, every last ounce of our sin, the world's sin and evil on him, the injustice that was laid harshly on his back, that he might bear it for us. And Jesus hangs on the cross, clothing ripped off of him. He bears all to a world mocking him in that pain. And the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John describes God's love in 1 John of him being on the cross this way. He uses the word lavish. His love is lavish. It's not frugal. It's not chintzy. It's not cheap. But it's lavish. See, when we get stuck in a Friday lens of Christianity, we see God's love as frugal. Because we're always on the verge of feeling like God's not going to be there for us and going to abandon us and let us experience horrible things. We, or we feel like we're going to constantly be in trouble because we made one tiny little mistake. Or we begin to feel that the world is always against us. But when we see God's love as lavish, lavish love is too much love. It's over-the-top kind of love. It's love that utterly undoes you if you let yourself experience it. Friday is a day we own up to our part of evil in the world. It's the day that I look up at Jesus on that cross and I see him being nailed there for my sins. It's the day I stop blaming God or anybody else for the nails in his hands. I own that for myself. And when we look up at Jesus and that love, that kind of love, it forces us to reassess what love really is. When we see Jesus on the cross, love is vulnerable. Love is hard. Love costs us something. And sometimes that vulnerability keeps us from wanting to love others at all, wants us to hide ourselves away a little bit. See, when we've been hurt and we don't want to, we don't want to experience that again, do we, sometimes? So we protect ourselves. And we refuse, our, refuse allowing ourselves to become vulnerable, choosing instead to survive rather than love. Yet surviving and living are not the same thing, are they? And we know that. It's easier to survive and never live. What's hardest and most painful in life is to love. And it's only in love that we fully live. Yet with love comes grief, doesn't it? The moment we love, 
someone, we pay a price of grief when that relationship is lost, whether through death or whether through a broken relationship. If you don't want to have grief, you won't ever love. But if you want love, you will experience pain. That's why many of us struggle even with God when we go through disappointment or pain because we see God and we look at this big man in the sky and even if we don't blame him for the pain that we're going through, we still struggle and we easily reject God because we're afraid he's going to allow us to experience that pain and hurt again. See, loving God includes grief. One of the most dangerously subtle assumptions a Christian can make about life is that their faith exists to clear their calendar of any disappointment. (coughs) Friday shows us something very different, doesn't it? One can't look at Friday's cross and say faith is about getting everything you want. Disappointment is a part of Friday. Those who encountered Jesus were disappointed, not just at the cross, But there were many people who came to Jesus wanting to follow him, excited, ready to follow him. And Jesus gave various answers. One time he said to him, "Uh, you need to give everything you own to the poor and then come follow me. And they were disappointed so often, wanting something different from Jesus. But Jesus asks us to live a life that is all too often too extreme and too committed for many. He isn't what we always expect. Even Jesus himself experienced disappointment and expressed it. Remember what Jesus says hanging on the cross while he's dying? See, most of the times when we see Jesus talking to God, he addresses him as Father, but something changed here when he's on the cross. Mark 15, 34, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt this sense of separation. And what Jesus modeled for us in that moment was this way to love God and question God at the same time. See, we often think those things are different and they can't be together, but that wasn't the case for Jesus. Of course, I mean, it's true, right? We've all asked why questions of God. I mean, when somebody died around us, we asked why did we survive? Why did somebody else die? Or why does somebody who loves kids, why can't they have kids? Or, Or a host of other why questions when we've been going through difficulty. Why, God, don't you do this? But masked underneath every single why question we ask is a story for us or the people asking it of disappointment, of hurt, of unmet expectations. Jesus, while he didn't, didn't stop believing in God, Jesus shows us his willingness to experience the depths of disappointment, suffering, and separation, and questions. Love took Jesus to the cross. In fact, real love will always do that for us. Real love leads us to disappointment, and it leads us to resurrection life as well. So good morning. Holy Saturday. Um, As Christians, we often will talk about on how Friday, you know, Jesus died on the cross to save the world from sin, and that we turn around and we talk about Sunday and being the day that Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death. But nobody really talks about Saturday, or at least I know that I haven't talked about it. And why? Maybe it's because the Gospels talk about Friday, and they talk about Sunday, but they say very little about Saturday. The Gospel tells us that after Jesus' death, late on Friday afternoon, a man named Joseph... Um, helps take Jesus' body down to be buried. But the only thing it says about Saturday is when the priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and they begged him to not let anything happen to Jesus' body at the tomb. So other, other than that, there is nothing shared. It's silence. 
And in that silence, Saturday is about waiting and uncertainty because we don't know what's going to happen. There's a Christian scholar from the 11th century um, named Anselm, and he described a kind of faith that comes with Saturday. It's called faith-seeking understanding. And by that, he meant that faith is not always something that comes after we understand. Instead, faith is something that you cling to when nothing makes sense. Because by holding on and living out what we hope is true, our faith is then backed up by our understanding. So for several of us at Quest, we are keenly experiencing the reality of Friday's death, and we may be sitting in the uncertainty of Saturday. Um, five of our friends have also lost parents, um, and, and it's been five weeks with five funerals. But others of you are experiencing different kinds of losses, like the potential loss of a child, a personal illness, a financial loss, a job change, or a breakup and a marriage. Yet at the same time, some of you are in a really beautiful season of life, and there's no kind of loss or pain at all. So, I mean, how wonderful is that? That is to be celebrated. It's awesome. Um, but we all know that Fridays come. And they're, all, and they're followed by the often silent and questioning Saturdays because it's a part of life. And so if we avoid the holiness of Saturdays, we minimize the power of Sunday. And so my most um, recent um, and difficult Saturday began February 7th of 2016. And I was really hesitant to share this morning because I don't want to distract from Easter and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I mean, this is Easter, um, but if you know us a little bit, that's just how we roll, I guess. Um, but when we were praying more about what we felt like God wanted for to talk about this Easter, it sent, it really felt like um, m- part of the story that we've been walking through helped uh, highlight some of the three days of Easter. So my dad, he was diagnosed with cancer on January 6th, and he died February 7th. It was the week that Lent began. And I had known that Lent was going to be different this year because Lent is that time that we purposely stop doing certain things so that we can see God more clearly. We see how things of this world are encroached our ability to connect with them. And there is nothing like impending loss to help you refocus about what's truly important. I mean, you cut out all the extras. You don't worry about what you wear, what you eat, what you look like, what your house looks like. You just want to focus on the ones that you love and you want to be with them. So as I was preparing for Lent, even back in December, before we knew that my dad had cancer, I was drawn to read a book by a former student called A.J. Sabota. Ross and I knew him from the Bible college that we taught at. And I hadn't read the book until the last few weeks, and it has some really great ideas which we pulled in for the message. But back in December, I was drawn to that book because of its cover, because it's a picture of a frozen river. And rivers mean a lot to me. I grew up in a small farm in the countryside of Minnesota, And our neighbor, the closest neighbor we had was a mile away. And so with no kids to play with, and especially the um, nature, and especially the river became one of my biggest playmates. Um, This picture is the river that's 75 feet outside my parents' house. And so the the week before my dad died, we were sitting together looking at the river and talking about how rivers were his favorite body of water. Because rivers are so full of surprises. They're always moving and changing. I mean, in the summer, they're a source of delight. I mean, you can relax floating down in a tube, or you can let the minnows nibble at your feet. And in the winter, we'd wait to see if the river would freeze over, hoping to walk across it or maybe even get to skate on it. I knew there was a truth that God was wanting to speak about the river, especially a frozen one. And although I missed being with my dad the moment he died, I did get there a few hours later. Um, He passed away in my parents' bedroom, and I sat there with my 
to my dad's body and I was just praying, God, you know, would you please bring him back and praying over him and begging him to come back. But then the reality really sets in that he is so not there. So after a few hours, I went down and I went for a walk at that same river. I mean, it was a really cold, um, Minnesota, well below freezing kind of cold. And although the, fr- the river wasn't fully frozen, its edge- edges were. And I stood there remembering times that we were able to cross over that river when it would be frozen ice. And when it was frozen, it looked dead, at least on the surface, right? And But my dad had always taught me to be so very careful of a frozen river because you're just not sure how strong that ice is. Because we knew that underneath that stillness, the frozenness, the river was as powerful as ever. And that truth is what stabilized my heart. Because isn't that what faith is? We believe in what we do not always outwardly see. We experience death just like a frozen river, but we remember that there is still a power that is flowing underneath. And that's that power that takes a sting out of death because it's Jesus' resurrection. The hope that we're going to be reunited, reunited one day and we'll see each other again. So even though the now that we live in right now really hurts. So I've, I've spent some time thinking about the disciples. What was it like for them on that original Saturday? I mean, it could only have been torturous. I mean, Jesus has died and there was no way in the world for them to know that he was going to return. We call Good Friday good because we see things from our angle. But to those disciples, I don't know that it felt good at all. I don't know. Maybe they called it Hell Friday. But um, those original disciples experienced confusion and despair. Their hero hung helplessly on the cross like a criminal. They didn't know what Sunday was going to bring. Their Saturday didn't know Sunday was coming, and to them, Saturday felt incredibly final. We read in the scripture about a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Before sunset on Friday, he had gone to Pilate, requested requested Jesus' cold, dead body to bury him properly. And it's part of the story that we could easily skip. But boy, it speaks volumes, because Joseph, a disciple of Jesus, came to take Jesus' body. Slowly and carefully, Joseph was taking and lowering Jesus from the cross, pulling out those large Roman nails from Jesus' hands and feet, and he carried him to the tomb. I mean, just think about what that would have been like, to pull out those nails as well as all the hopes and dreams that you had of what you thought your future was going to be with your hero, your king, and your savior. It had to have felt dark for Joseph. I mean, he may have thought, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't want to bury him. Yet Joseph still showed up. And I just love that about him. Because more of the faith that we would like to admit consists of showing up and just doing the next thing. It's part of the faith that many of us didn't sign up for, right? So despite the despair and confusion, Joseph showed up. Because faith isn't just Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's that silent Saturday too. It can be sitting at the tomb, sitting next to someone that you love in the hospital, being alone in your home after a partner has left you. It can be dark and even scary in that silence. No one chooses it. Nobody would want to have that silence and ambiguity. But there is hope there because in the tomb, God is there. You know, I found it interesting. The Bible talks about darkness and 15 times in the Old Testament where it talks about darkness, half of those references are connected to the presence of God. For example, in Exodus, we um, Moses uh, entered the darkness, and that's where he met God. God is not darkness, but he comes to those of us that are in the darkness. So what does that say about darkness? 
that Jesus can be God and he can be silent and at the same time. Now, Holy Saturdays are always going to bring questions. Questions are important because if we don't, we don't move forward in our faith if we don't bring our questions to God. The right questions lead us back to him. One question that Mother Teresa had in one of her times of darkness was, Father, please pray for me because where is Jesus? She could not see Jesus in her Saturday. Darkness does not have to say that we failed or that we're flunking in our faith. But Mother Teresa, along with many others of great faith, experienced doubts and darkness. They knew a life of faith is not always straight and easy. Two disciples felt like they were in darkness. Further down in that Luke passage, after Jesus died, those two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus on Sunday. Scripture tells us that they were downcast. They have been, been, may have been saying, like, what's next? I banked my whole career, my whole life, on this man I call Lord. And while they were walking... A man started walking with them, right? And unknown to the disciples, Jesus had been resurrected that morning. They didn't recognize him, though. That was Jesus who was walking with them. So we, too, may not realize that God is with us right now in the midst of our Saturday. Now, Friday is great and good because we believe his death actually accomplished something. We love Sunday resurrection because he won over all of death and sin. But Saturday... It forces us to sit with life's reality and all of its questions. But even though Saturday has purpose and it's holy, Jesus never leaves us there. Cynics, like Ross was talking about, they might stay there, and I get it, because Saturdays can be easy to stay in because there's a safety and hopelessness. Because hopelessness never requires you to ever act. Jesus didn't stay in Saturday, and if we follow him, we're not going to stay there either. We move out of Saturday because of hope, the hope that there's something beneath us, underneath that frozen river, and even though everything looks dead, we remember, um, you know, we remember there's something there. We can remember that when the disciples thought Saturday silence looked like nothing was happening, what was the reality? I mean, Jesus was just breaking open the gates of hell and winning everything back. It may have seemed silent, but boy, God was at work. So we move right to Easter Sunday. The English word hope doesn't do it justice because when we use the word hope, it often has some uncertainty to it. Like when we say, I hope so, um, it sounds so unsure. But the Greek word translated hope means strong expectation. The Hebrew word for hope comes from a word that means a strong rope, which also refers to a really firm and st- solid expectation. The Bible tells us that hope is more than wishful thinking or blind faith. It's as sure as knowing that there's flowing water underneath the ice. So what does your hope look like? And that's important because what you hope in affects everything, your future and your present. Tim Keller, um, he tells a story of two people that were given the same job. They work in different rooms, but they have the exact same conditions. Each person is given the same task. Screw part A onto part B. The only difference is that the first person's annual income was $10,000, but the second person's income was going to be $10 million. So they go on break, and the first person says, well, this job is terrible, it's boring, it's incredibly tedious. Don't you find it hard to do? And the second person says, uh, there's no problem for me. I mean, I'm looking forward to this year. So what's the difference between those two men? They are experiencing the same identical circumstances but in radically different ways because their expectations or their hopes are different. Their beliefs about the future radically and completely determine how they are experiencing the present, either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. 
I have seen, I've never seen this hope and expectation than the resurrection so clearly um, lived as attending each of the five funerals that we've had here lately. Each lost loved one had accepted Jesus as their savior. Those left behind believed as painful as the moment was that they had the hope that they were going to see them again. And it's such a stark difference to be with those who mourn a loved one, but who, but who has no clear hope other than wishful thinking that they may see their loved one again. You know, as I listen to my students and they have various religions or no religion, I hear different um, versions of the afterlife. Some believe that their soul just becomes part of the universe. Some say there's no reason to be afraid of death because you continue to exist. You just become part of the earth and life goes on. It's, it's beautiful. But, I mean, if you're honest, doesn't that disappoint or worry you? I mean, the deepest part of the human heart is to be loved and to be loved by our, and to be with our loved ones. We don't want to lose them. It's the main thing that brings meaning in life is love. So how do we not despair when other philosophies or religions say, well, don't worry when you die, everything that really matters to you is going to be stripped away, right? Because if death takes your loved ones and you from your loved ones, that should be something to be afraid of. With Jesus, resurrection is certain. You can know your future is certain if you believe in the completeness of Jesus' sacrifice of your, for your sins and that he's risen from the dead. Resurrection is definitely about the future, but it's also about today. There's this widely practiced tradition among Greek and Russian Orthodox churches in the way they celebrate Easter, where they actually start out celebrating Easter telling jokes. They go around in circles telling jokes. It's called Rissus Paschalis, the Easter laugh, and I probably butchered that so they'd be laughing at me right now. It is all about imitating the cosmic joke God pulled off in the resurrection. Satan is tricked into believing he won the cosmic battle for earth. For two days in all of his vainglory and self-congratulation, Satan stood arrogantly as the victor of creation. The devil was tricked. To his utter dismay and destruction, Jesus was resurrected. Thus the term Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. Jesus stands confidently, pointing to a day when all of creation will exist under his love and grace. You see, Jesus' resurrection was a surprise to Satan, as well as to many others, because God loves surprises. Let's take just a moment to imagine for a second. Imagine the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. Imagine a dead heart started beating again. Imagine Jesus walked into death only to turn around and re-enter life. What would that mean? How would that change things? If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then really just about anything is possible, isn't it? And I mean anything. I mean, consider all the miracle stories we see in the Bible. Lazarus being raised from the dead. The fishes and loaves being multiplied to feed thousands. The walls of Jericho crumbling before the army as they sing worship to God. The storm in the seas calmed at Jesus' words and brought to silence. Sometimes we don't know what to do with these stories. I know plenty of really smart Christians who struggle with these stories, wondering if they're real or just parables or stories. But if you ask these same people, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? They'd say, yes, I believe he did. They believe in the resurrection. But when asked, so you believe Jesus could rise from the grave, but you struggle with these other miracles, and they say, I don't know. Isn't that kind of incongruent? The resurrection is the greatest miracle of all. For us to believe in that and then think the rest of it is crazy or improbable. 
See, it's because resurrection opens doors to believe anything is possible. If resurrection has happened, then what else is outside the realm of possibility? To explore God is to be open to surprises that come around every corner because God is surprising. And surprises make us curious. And a surprise always gives us a deeper look at our expectations about how we believe the world is supposed to work. Being surprised by God isn't to say that God changes. It's to say that we've changed. And now we see God in a way that we never thought imaginable before. See, a Christian is one who's open to surprises, like surprises of the river, going down it and never knowing when you're going to see around the next bend. You see, if you've never been surprised by God, then I would suggest that maybe you're keeping him too restrained, too securely tight in a box of what he can and cannot do in your mind. And God has to be bigger than any box we can form, any image of him that we have. God is not boring. He's not predictable. He's full of surprises. We want to always be curious to see what he's up to and what's up his sleeve, whether we're going through a Friday or Saturday or when we're in that Sunday celebration time to give us stability as we face the challenges and surprises God brings. The Bible actually gives us two images to speak about God's relationship to history. The first image is he talks about Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end are clearly decided. In the book of Hebrews, it says God, through Jesus, is sustaining all things by his word. That word sustaining could also be translated carry, meaning God is carrying the world. God begins and he ends the script of history. And God is carrying all of history on his back. God is present not just in the beginning and the end, but in everything in between. God is over history creating it, and God is under history carrying it and caring for it and sustaining it. To be a Christian is to have that kind of solid hope, hope based on the evidence of the most powerful act in all of history, not wishful thinking, hope that carries us through all three days of Easter in our own life experience. To believe in the resurrection is to always try to find it, to live it, to be it. Um, In the last weeks, I've been asking God to show me some resurrection stories that are happening right now. And maybe you already pray that prayer. God, help me to be aware of all the ways that you are bringing resurrection in my world. Um, Most of my resurrection stories are confidential, but a few that helped my heart sing this week that aren't confidential were like one was a dad. He was choosing to not start his day drinking, and instead he asked for help, and he, des- and he expressed a desire to want to really live again. A mom who decided to protect herself and her children and leave an abusive partner and move out. Or it was somebody who was rewriting the lies that they told them themselves that their worth was only based upon how well they could perform, and instead began to see more of how God made them and valued their uniqueness. It was shame turning into grace, fear into hope, Despair into beauty, and that's resurrection. There was a resurrection story that got shared with me by email this last week, and this story, I know the background of it, it began by two people independently experiencing encountering God and then that coming together in this amazingly beautiful story, which you're going to hear the details of that in three weeks, not now. But extending out of that story, that spread into this, this, this one man's small group 
And this small group got behind what God initiated, and God raised through this one small group at Quest $4,800 to send to this person's missionary friend in Angola where there's severe, deadly malaria problems going on. And the email this last week said the money arrived, or the missionary said the money arrived at a time when the exchange rate was like none, none other he'd experienced, resulting in being able to buy far more malaria medicine than they thought they could. So this one quest group supplied malaria medicine for 500 people for three months, arriving right at the time of the worst outbreak season that they have. And most of that is going to go to high-risk young kids. That's a tremendous way that God births life through us as we listen to him and we follow him in obedience and we empower this missionary to share the gospel in beautiful ways. You see, the minute we decide to follow Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us. It's that same, exact same power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead that comes into us. The same thing that raised him from the dead. And so, God is always leading us, whether we're in a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday, into these expressions of his power and his life breaking through. So from now on, as you think of things, when you look at life, especially when you face those times where things feel frozen or dead, whether that frozenness is, is your bitterness and how, how to get this relationship back or insecurity or fears or self-doubts or, or struggling with God's purpose in your life, we face those things now with a curiosity and an expectation because of that power. Even what feels like death on Friday, even what feels like endless waiting for answers on Saturday and where is God in this moment, all of that God is working in and His power is there, whether it's under the frozen river or whether it's out in the open. It's there and He can turn things around because the more you know Him, the more you grow in the power of the resurrection in every single day and circumstance of your life. So no matter how dark the river looks, how cold or frozen it becomes, in Christ there's always the power of resurrection flowing below. And as my dad would say, never judge river by its surface. We want to, I'm so sorry, we wanted to close with a tangible way to walk through these three days. So for some of you, you're in a Sunday. You're thoroughly experiencing life and seeing answers to prayer. Some of you may be in a holy Saturday questioning and wondering who God is or where he is. And others are smack in the middle of a Friday experience where all you see is a frozen river and death seems to surround you. So no matter what day you're in, it's a time to celebrate. Let's remind ourselves of something more real, something more true, more powerful than what we could ever see on the surface. You know, after my dad died, I searched for a song to have my something for my heart to rest in. And I found a song by Audrey Assad, which had just been released. And I, it was the visuals of the frozen river that drew me. The backstory of this, of this song, um, of why Audrey wrote it, was the tragedy in 2015 where 21 Christian Egyptian men were killed for their faith. And as she prayed about those lives that were taken, she asked herself, what would I pray if it were me kneeling on that beach about to be killed? This song illustrates Good Friday, the reality of death, but then it moves toward a holy Saturday of the uncertainty of the future. But it has this real strong clinging to being with God in the midst of the loss. So what we'd like you to do is just to feel free to sit for this first song and just let it be your prayer. And then allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and, and speak to you as we continue worshiping through the process of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and the amazing declaration and fantastic celebration of Easter's resurrection. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. 
If you are interested in learning more about Quest, who we are, and what we do, please visit gotoquest.org slash connect. If you are interested in supporting Quest financially, you can give quickly and easily by visiting gotoquest.org slash giving. This page will walk you through all the options to give online, via text message, or through the PushPay app. If you are loving Quest and the podcast, let us know by tagging Quest in your Facebook or Twitter post and use the hashtag GoToQuest. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check back in next week for another great message.